please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 17. You'll find it on page 454 if you were given the Bible on the way in. Psalm 17 on page 454. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read the psalm together. Father, your word is good and true. And we know this morning that our hearts are often prone to wander from you, prone to wander from your commands, prone to wander from your love. And we ask, Father, that as we read and study Psalm 17 this morning, that by your Holy Spirit, you would feed and nurture us that you would fix our eyes on our eternal King Jesus, our kind King Jesus, risen and victorious. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 17 then, let me read that out. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Please keep that open in front of you as we study it together. Often you can tell exactly what someone is like when they are put under immense pressure, can't you? It's those moments when the gravity of a situation is really felt. The stress of a situation begins to squeeze. It's those moments which really reveal what is going on under the surface of an individual. 
It's where we see what our finest athletes are truly made of, what our finest musicians are truly made of. Can they handle the pressure calmly, or are they going to buckle? It's when we learn the most about our politicians, our leaders. When the heat is turned up, what sorts of decisions are they going to make? What are we going to learn about their priorities, their principles, and their convictions? It's when we learn the most about our own friends, our own family, course mates, colleagues, perhaps even ourselves. When the walls close in, what do we learn about who they really are, who we really are? Well, in Psalm 17 this morning, King David is under immense pressure. The heat is well and truly turned up on David, and his heart is laid bare in Psalm 17 for all of us to read. And we see in the first half of the psalm that he is being accused of lies, being accused of violence, being accused of impurity. And we read in the second half of the psalm that David's enemies are physically closing in on him. The king of God's people has been rejected by those who throw insults, who threaten his life. How will he respond? Well, as we see this morning throughout the psalm, the answer to that question is confidence. So glance down with me at verse 6. David says, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. And then again at the end of the psalm in verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Now that is a confident prayer for a rejected king. David's morale might be deflated, but his eyes are well and truly raised and fixed on the Lord. And we'll see why David can have such confidence as the psalm unfolds for us. You'll see three specific things that he prays for as they appear on the screen behind, beside me, and you'll have them on the sheets that you were given on your way in. And these confident requests matter, not just for God's king, but for all of God's people as we obey and copy our king. See, God gives his king the words that he wants his king to sing in situations like this. God gives his people the words that he wants them to sing in the middle of the storms of life. And so Psalm 17, amongst many other things, is a lesson in how to confidently turn to and trust in our just, kind, and merciful, mighty God amidst real danger, amidst real difficulty. So let's take each of them in turn. The first thing for us to see this morning is God's rejected king confidently seeking his father's vindication. God's rejected king confidently seeks his father's vindication. I'm sure we can think of legal cases in court which have broken out into the media in recent history. Journalism which mixes speculation with the facts. Conjecture, comments coming from all sides, all angles. But amidst all the clamor, Amidst all the noise, it's the opinion of the judge that matters the most. And in Psalm 17, when King David backs against the wall, what matters to him most of all is the good opinion of his judge, his God, the Lord. The king's enemies might have filed plenty of false charges, accusations made about David's character, 
accusations made about David's integrity, accusations made about David's actions. He's not the king that you think he is. He is not the king that we need. His reign will ruin us. But what matters so much more than whether his enemies find him blameless is that his God finds him blameless. So verse 1, he says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my lips, free of deceit. And then again, verse 3, You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. The sense there is that God has visited David at night when David's defenses would be down, so to speak, or he would be off duty. And as God has tested David's heart, even then, even in the night, David says, you will find nothing. And not only is David's heart clean, but his mouth and his hands are also clean. Again, in verse 3, he says, I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. And in verse 4, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. See, his enemies may be calling him a liar, but he has only spoken the truth. His enemies may have called him violent and corrupt, but he has only placed one righteous footstep in front of the other. Thanks to the word of God's lips, David's heart, his mouth, and his actions are all blameless. And so he prays, verse 2, from your presence, let my vindication come. It's so important that the king of God's people, responsible for their spiritual growth, responsible for their spiritual nurture, it's so important that the king lives in a way where allegations like these just do not stick. And all that David wants, for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of his people, is that his God, his judge, acquits King David of all of the false accusations that his enemies have made. If King David knows the vindication of the Lord, that is enough. So he prays to the God who sees all things, who searches hearts, who cannot be fooled, and says, Lord, vindicate me. Find me guiltless. That's the first thing that this king confidently prays for. The second thing that God's rejected king confidently seeks is his father's steadfast love. God's rejected king, vindicated by God, confidently seeks his father's steadfast love. Verse 7, he prays, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. And the word there for steadfast love in verse 7 is a covenant word. It's a word that is stuffed, full of the promise of rescue, redemption, provision, forgiveness that God has covenanted to show his king and to show his people. It's a word that speaks of a commitment from the Lord at his own cost, a devotion to his king, a devotion to his people that will never waver, never spoil, never fade. And so to the covenant-keeping God, David prays, verse 8, Keep me, keep me as the apple of your eye. More literally, he prays, guard me as the little man that I see as I stare into your eyes. David says to the Lord, as I stand so close to you, 
so close that I can actually see my own reflection in your eye. Keep me there. Hide me in the shadow of your wing. Verse 8 is a wonderful picture of intimacy. Intimacy between God and his king. Despite being rejected by the world, David's confidence is that he will be loved steadfastly by God the Father. He might be on the receiving end of lies. He might be on the receiving end of insults from his enemies. But he is also on the receiving end of the steadfast love of his good and kind God. He refutes the false accusations and rejection of the world and instead reaches out to the covenant-keeping Lord who promises David the steadfast love that he desperately needs. And it's not merely a love that is to cheer David up after a hard day of being accused and being chased by his enemies, but a love that reacquaints David with the deeper reality of his situation. The reason why he seeks the steadfast love of the Lord is because he knows that God has made promises to him. He knows that the Lord has kindly promised his people everything that he has, all of the love that he could need, all of the security that he could need. And it pleases David greatly to reach out to the Lord, to ask him to love him and to shelter him from his enemies. Just as you might see a, a small child being hurt by another child, David runs into the arms of his father for comfort, security, perspective, protection. The advances of his enemies, deadly enemies, sting him badly. But David has the confidence to call upon the Lord to show his steadfast love towards him. A reminder to David that despite the threat that he faces, he belongs to the Lord and he is safe there. The third thing that God's king, rejected by men, vindicated and loved by the Lord, the third thing that God's rejected king confidently seeks is his father's eternal deliverance. God's rejected king seeks his father's eternal deliverance. Allegedly, Winston Churchill once said, speaking of the enemies that he faced as prime minister, he once said, you cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. And King David would completely agree. It's absolutely clear from David's report of his enemies that there is no diplomacy with them. Verse 10 literally reads, their fat closes around their hearts. All of their earthly riches have cut them off from any possibility of a love for God or a love for his king. They have gorged themselves on the things of this world. Verse 14, their portion is in this life. Their wombs are filled with treasure. They are satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. They have children. They have wealth to pass on to them. And they think that is all there is to life. We have all we could ever need, they say. Why would I risk any of that? Why would I waste any of that? By bowing the knee to God or to any king of his. And in their arrogance, in their greed... They have completely neglected the good God that has given them these things and completely rejected the king that should rule over them in righteousness. Verse 11. They have now surrounded our steps. 
They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. The enemies of the king will show him no mercy, no understanding. Their eyes are set to cast the king to the ground, each of them like a lion, eager to tear, a young lion lurking in ambush. They will accuse, they will hunt, they will violently pursue the king until he is silenced once and for all. David is only too aware of how helpless he is, and all he can do is reach out to the Lord and ask him to rescue and deliver the rejected king from the enemies that pursue him. Verse 13, he says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. He is only too aware of the strength of the forces that oppose him. He is only too aware of his own helplessness. But he knows just how strong his God is. And that is the confident prayer of the rejected king. His confidence is that his God is more powerful than the enemies that he faces. More powerful than the waves of opposition coming his way. And there's such a sharp contrast between the wicked and between King David here. Their portion is in this life where their joy and prosperity will be fleeting at best. Yet for David, as the pressure of fierce opposition is applied, the last words of the psalm are ones of confident hope. Confident hope in God for this life and for the life to come. And that is the sort of king that he is revealed to be. Verse 15. As for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David doesn't need to worry about his life. David doesn't need to worry about his eternity. There is no question of whether or not it will have been worth it to follow the Lord in the midst of the opposition. King David is safe in the hands of his Lord. He is safe in the hands of his God who will deliver him. The question for us all, as we draw to a close, is how can anyone sing Psalm 17? How can David sing Psalm 17? Those of us who read through the life of King David know that he might have been a good king when compared to Saul, or when compared to many of his successors. But do David's words here ring completely true about his own heart? Would any of us who have studied David's life really go as far as to call him blameless? Now, we mentioned earlier that the accusations that are being made about the king are indeed spurious and false, an attempt to discredit David as king. So David can say with integrity that he doesn't have an impure heart like his enemies do, nor has he lied like his enemies have, nor has he been violent like his enemies have been. But it wouldn't take too much further investigation in David's life before we see other offenses against the Lord. See, as we test David's heart, we certainly find things that are uncomfortable, actions that will certainly seem deceitful, violent, impure. David himself will go on to say in a later psalm, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. So is David's confidence misplaced? And if that is true for King David, if he can't sing Psalm 17, I certainly can't sing Psalm 17 either. 
This psalm is one that I desperately want to sing from the Lord, to the Lord, but even just a brief glance into my heart reveals more than enough reason for me to feel like I can't sing them. I'd love to know the Father's vindication. I'd love to know the Father's steadfast love. I'd love to know his eternal rescue, but I don't know the blamelessness that David sings of in this psalm. Nor do I feel like I always know the confidence with which David sings in this psalm. The vindication, the steadfast love, the rescue, the confidence of the king in Psalm 17 seems like an impossible dream for me, for David, for all of us. And there are two really, really important things that we need to see and understand in response to that. The first thing is this. Whilst David knows that he is sinful in his own heart, because of the covenant promises of his faithful God, because of that steadfast love that we read of, he knows that he is truly blameless in the Lord's sight. David's confidence that we see in Psalm 17 is not in his own righteousness. David's confidence that we see in Psalm 17 is found in the Lord, found in the covenant promises that the Lord makes with David and makes with his people. David is confident in knowing the Lord's vindication because his faithful, just God has promised him that it will be his. David is confident in knowing the Lord's steadfast love because his faithful, steadfast, loving God has promised him that it will be his. David is confident in knowing that the Lord's eternal deliverance will be his because his faithful, almighty God has promised him that it will be his. See, Psalm 17 is not an audacious understanding of his relationship with the Lord. It's an accurate understanding of his relationship with the Lord. Thanks to the Lord's kindness, thanks to the Lord's forgiveness, shown towards David in his covenant, David can sing, you have tried my heart and you will find nothing. You will answer me, O God, and I shall behold your face. Because the Almighty Lord has promised King David that those things will be his. How is that possible? Well, that leads us on to the second thing for us to note, which is that Psalm 17 is as much a description of King David as it is a promise of a greater king, one that was yet to come. What is true of David in these verses meets an even deeper truth 1,000 years later in Jesus. The king of God's people, Jesus, would walk the earth and he would live out Psalm 17 in a much richer, fuller way than King David ever did. And as you read Psalm 17, you see it describe Jesus' life perfectly. Jesus knows the vindication of God the Father as the lies and the slander and the mockery of Jesus' enemies are proven to be utterly false. Where the only opinion that mattered to our sinless King Jesus is the one of his Father. Jesus knows the steadfast love of God the Father, a love that remains fixed on the Son even when he is rejected by everyone else, a love that keeps King Jesus close as the reflection in his Father's eye. Jesus knows the eternal deliverance of his own life from his enemies, from the physical and spiritual opposition that he faced, defeating death, disarming Satan, opening the gates to eternal life in a renewed creation. He is the king that fulfills all that Psalm 17 
promises. It's in King Jesus that King David and every other believer throughout the ages has trusted in for righteousness, vindication, steadfast love, salvation. And so for us sitting here this morning, as we are united to our King Jesus, we can know the same blessings that David knows in Psalm 17. As we are united to our King Jesus, we too can know the vindication, the steadfast love, the deliverance that he knows, loved by the Father as much as he loves the Son, the apple of his eye. We are declared to be blameless in the eyes of our God, despite the sin in our hearts, despite the accusations of Satan, despite the accusations of the enemies of God and his people, not because of our own righteousness, not because of our own works, but because our faith and confidence is in our King, Jesus. We know the steadfast love of the Father, a love that the world could never offer us, a love that depends not on our performance, but on the Lord's goodness, on the Lord's kindness, shown to us so clearly on the cross. We too are eternally delivered, rescued from the threats that God's enemies pose, from sin, from death, rescued from the just judgment of God the Father, for we will one day behold the face of our God in righteousness. We will gaze upon Jesus face to face. And so as King Jesus sings Psalm 17, I can sing along with him. As Jesus was vindicated, steadfastly loved, rescued from his enemies, so I will be too. And so will every believer. Just as King David knew confidently that his journey would be one of vindication, steadfast love, and then ultimately deliverance, so will be my journey. Because that was the journey that Jesus took. And so I don't sing Psalm 17 arrogantly. I don't sing Psalm 17 presumptuously. But nor do I sing along timidly or with any uncertainty. I can sing along with real confidence, real gospel confidence. I can approach God with real confidence to ask for these things, knowing that because he is good, because he is kind, he will bestow them upon his people. It's a psalm to give us plenty of reason to rejoice, plenty of reason to be thankful, plenty of reason to be assured. It means that I don't turn anywhere else. I don't look for vindication. I don't look for love. I don't look for deliverance from the enemies of God's people, plan and promises. I don't look for these things anywhere else other than King Jesus. In him and in him alone, I find all of these things. That's where King David's confidence lay. And it's where ours lies too. Much more that could be said. Let me stop there and pause and we'll pray before we sing to close our service.
Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to sing Psalm 17 this morning, along with David and along with Jesus. Thank you, Father, that he has seen your vindication, he knows your steadfast love, and he knows rescue from his enemies. And thank you, Father, that as we are united to him, we can know these things too. So help us, Father, to sing of your goodness, to sing of your mercy, to sing of your kindness, to sing of your justice, to remind one another of these things, to share these things with others, and help us to do so with confidence, not in our own righteousness, not in our own blamelessness, but the blamelessness that you give us through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray and thank you. Amen.